This is the Greg Scheinman Podcast. The Greg Scheinman Podcast. Brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, welcome to the Greg Scheinman Podcast. Today, my guest is Liam Caffrey. Uh, Liam is the author of The Best Year Ever. This is a exceptional book, uh, and I can't wait for you guys to learn and hear a little bit more about it and uh, how he was inspired to write this book and spend the best year year ever. Um, Liam is also a fellow graduate of the University of Michigan, Go Blue, so that's, uh, that's another great thing and something we have in common over there. So let's get at it. Liam, thanks for joining me on the show. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Hey, let's let's start on something timely. Uh, one one of the chapters in in your book um, is is a visit to the Playboy Mansion. Uh, yep. Yes. So, on on a timely note with the passing of of Mr. Hugh Hefner, uh, what what are your thoughts uh, about what inspired you to go to the Playboy Mansion, and and what are your thoughts on on Hef? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I would say when people read the description of the book the first chapter they typically ask me about is the Playboy Mansion. And it's kind of, even though, you know, I kind of say, listen, I think he bought the Playboy Mansion West in 74. It probably hit its peak in the 80s, 90s. But it still holds a mystique, I think, um, to this day in terms of the, Amer- certainly the American male, but I just think America, American pop culture in terms of the mystique around it. So everybody asked me about that. And so at the time I wrote the book, you know, I was a 30-something, newly single guy. Um, you know, part of the genesis for the book was, on the one hand, I was, you know, I had a great job, I was doing well, I had great friends, but I felt like I was in a bit of a rut. I felt like I was personally a little bit stagnant. Um, and I just wanted to experience a bunch of new things, kind of shake it up a little bit, and try to see, was there something different out there? I, I sort of felt like I had put off a lot of things I wanted to do. Um, and then I never really got to them, and, and my day job and just things got in the way, and so I wanted to, um, you know, stop putting everything off and, and experience adventure a little bit. And so I thought, hey, listen, I'm a you know, 36 year old single guy, you know, what better thing to do than let's go see how the Playboy Mansion is? So I maneuvered my way to get into a party out there, um, uh, kind of a Mardi Gras party, and, and try to experience what it was like. Um, and it ended up being, you know, it was a great story. It was a great chapter. It was a little bit. Um, it was a little bit disappointing, just in the sense of you definitely felt like in in recent years. Uh, again, the, you can go to a club in Miami or Vegas, and it's probably a wilder scene than you know some of the the parties at the Playboy Mansion. I think that almost society and just you know what used to be racy and and um, on the cutting edge in terms of that with the Playboy Mansion has probably been caught up with, with some of the party scenes you see elsewhere right now. Um, so it was, it, you know, it, it's, you know, it was no kind of racier or crazier than what you, would you find at a club in, in one of those cities. And I'd say half, I mean, he still put on a great show. I mean, when I was there, he kind of trots out and he's got his PJs on and he's got his, his bevy of six playmates with him and he starts making out with them. But you felt a little bit like, um, he was the old lion at the zoo, or they trot him out and he roars and he puts on a show, but he really just wants to go back into his cave and take a nap. And so it was, it was a great experience, a great story, but ultimately also a little bit sad because you felt like, okay, he's putting on a show and, and, um, you know, he was still a little bit, you know, living in the past. 
Uh, so it, it's, uh, I, you know, and when I was there was a few years ago, I think it settled down a little bit. He, you know, he had fewer and fewer parties over recent years. I think just as his, uh, as he got up there in age and, and his health failed a little bit, but, um, again, great experience, but, um, you know, definitely the end of an era, I think now with his passing and, you know, formally now, I think the Playboy Mansion passes off to the guy who bought it a few years ago and probably end up just being a giant mansion and, you know, a part of history. Got gotcha on that. It's uh, another great, great life experience. But you know, as that being timely, and I know we started there. What what I also want to get get at is, you know, this is not a book about you know just a guy, uh, a sing a single guy trotting around to different things. But I'm really, you know, first of all, I mean, your background is super impressive. Obviously, you know, coming coming out of Michigan, Harvard Law. Um, Working at the highest level at McKinsey, you know now you're your CFO at, at Aon. So this isn't just a book to me about you know a, a, a guy just kind of going from adventure to adventure. But what really interests me and, and kind of what what struck a chord with me is is what you touched on you know about feeling in a rut you know in a personal and professional situation and that's that kind of stage of your life. Um, and you wrote out, outside of the book, um, I believe it was it was a blog post of yours that I wrote about you know, the, the best year ever, the lessons, you know. Um, and, and I was looking at this, and, and you listed, a, I think it's 10 or 12 things in here about, you know, you having the time, making the time yep. to do it, and how you, you were able to coordinate this. And, and you know, where, where I'm going with this is that, you know, look, you know, life is hard. We're all juggling a lot of things, family and finances and, and career and fitness and wanting to still have adventures and things. And always you hear there's not enough time or there's not enough money or there's never the right time, you know, in a way. Yep. And, and I really like what, what you'd written, and I wanted to kind of touch on, on this a little bit. Um, you know, and, and number one was to quit assuming you're indispensable, you know? Yep. Um, elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and again, as you said, part of why I wrote uh, that article was another question I got in the book a lot was, oh, so I assume you quit your job or you took a year off or sabbatical. It was like, no, I mean, I, I did this year, pursued all these events while holding down a full-time job and a, and a fairly challenging one at that. And so they say, how did you do it? And for me, it was just more about making the time and thinking through and planning how to do it. So one of them was, you know, don't assume that you're so indispensable. I mean, I think every, I mean, there's, there's a few people who probably are indispensable on a daily basis. I kind of joke, you know, if you're a transplant surgeon or, you know, yeah, I mean, people may die if you don't show up to work. Uh, for most of us that are holding more office jobs or things like that, you know, you, you have a team you work with, uh, you have vacations, you have time that you can plan things out. On any given day, as long as you put some thought into it, you know, quit assuming that if you're not there, the world is going to end. Um, again, give yourself credit in terms of the team you've built, the other people you work with. Uh, you have to sacrifice some spontaneity, perhaps. But if you plan ahead and you think through it, you, you know, your coworkers and, and folks can work around just about anything uh, as long as you're reasonable about it. So I, and I think the first part of why I think you go to that, hey, I'm indispensable. If I'm not here, nothing's going to get done right, is there's a little bit of insecurity around it of, well, maybe if I'm not here and everything goes fine, maybe they won't want me here anymore. And so I think you just have to get over and have enough confidence in your own abilities, your own team, hopefully the, the capabilities you've, you've created around yourself to be able to say, hey, listen, I've earned the right to be able to take a couple of days off or a week off here or there, uh, and the world won't end. And, 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 and generally I find people respect that. I've never really 
worked in a place where people, you know, said, oh, well, this guy takes too much vacation or he was off on vacation and something went wrong and I'm going to blame him. I generally find that everybody works hard and, and they respect the fact that, hey, if you're going to plan and take a vacation, most folks try to respect that and leave you alone. And um, I think you need to take advantage of that where you can. And so, you know, for me, I just got very scrappy around vacations and long weekends and things like that to try to pursue what I wanted to pursue in the context of still having a, a full-time job. No, I think it's uh, it, it's great advice. And, and, you know, one of the things I'm always uh, talking to guests and, and, and guys about, particularly, you know, focusing on what I, what I like to call the, the midwife male, you know, if, yep. if you will, that, that guy, again, who has, is juggling a lot of balls um, and things tend to, tend to get slightly askew and out of balance from time to time. You know, maybe the, the work is going great, but the home life isn't, you know, or yep. the work-life balance and, and the planning aspect of how do you balance it all and, and fit it in. And as you said, have the, have the confidence um, to, to make some, some life choices or live life a little bit more on, on, on your terms um, that's, that's there and balance that level of confidence uh, with, with insecurity. So I think that's uh, it's, it's really well, well stated. You know, as, as great as, as the book is and the, the things that you chose to do, the book in a way came across to me as, as a bit of a, a metaphor more that yet anybody can actually really do this. You know, I mean, and we all have things that we want to go and do, you know, or, or try, whether it's, you know, one or two or whether you want to take a whole year, you know, and, and go yep. and do them. But what can you what can you fit in there? Um, so. Can I, yeah, I make my own, made my own with going through it. Hey, what would, I, what would I choose, you know, if I was yeah. going to go, go do that? Um, what, what was the best experience for you and kind of what was your, your takeaway? Yeah, you know, it's interesting to your point. Um, uh, you know, part of why I like how the book came out is, is I think it's, it's relatable. And I think it's, listen, there's plenty of books, whether you're like, eat, pray, love or whatever, where it's like, hey, I quit my job. I moved to, you know, India, I, you know, and I discovered myself or I became a Sherpa, whatever. It's, it's not reasonable for the average person out there. I mean, we've got families, we've got jobs. Most of us aren't going to be as extreme as him and I quit. I'm going to just check out and move. What I, what I think makes the book and my story relatable is, um, again, I did it in the context of holding a job. You know, some of the events you look at and you say, hey, that's a typical bucket list event. Okay, the guy ran with the Bulls in Pamplona. Okay, a lot of people might have that. He ran a marathon. Others are very personal. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a bucket list thing, but it was very personal for me. And I learned a lot about myself through the event, even if, you know, to somebody else it might not have been that meaningful. So I think the notion is, your own bucket list and what you want to do and how you'll learn from it will be very personal to you. And what you want to accomplish may have huge meaning to you, but it wouldn't to me. And so I think thinking through what's your own list of things you want to accomplish in a year or a lifetime and, and personalizing that um, is a big part of it. For me, there were certainly things that were marquee events that I thought, you know, man, they really lived up to the billing and others that fell a little flat. So, again, the Playboy Mansion everybody wants to talk about. That one fell a little bit flat to me. I, I think, as I said, I came away from that and I felt, ah, it was, a fun, it was a fun event, it was a great story, but it felt a little cliche. And at the end of the day, I'm a 36-year-old single guy, and 
is that really where I want to be, hanging out at the Playboy Mansion, or would I rather find a more meaningful relationship in my life? And ultimately, the answer to that was yes. And one of the punchlines of the book was I ended up meeting my future wife through the adventures of the book. Um, there were other ones like Running with the Bulls in Pamplona that absolutely lived up to the billing. I mean, it was much cooler and more exciting than even what I would have thought it was. So within some of those marquee ones, again, there were ones that fell flat, ones that I loved. And then there were ones, again, for me, where it was, uh, you wouldn't look and say, man, that's not a bucket list event. So, uh, for example, I went to the seventh game of the Stanley Cup Finals in Detroit when they played Pittsburgh a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be the same work, the same week that General Motors declared bankruptcy. Um, and I had grown up in a GM family. I'd worked for General Motors. And so the whole chapter became about me going back to Detroit and really reflecting on growing up in Michigan the blue-collar nature of the Michigan sports fan. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the Red Wings lost the clinching game and they didn't win the Stanley Cup. But the whole experience and the reflection on that for me of growing up in Michigan, and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but you, you know, and you have your ups and downs, but you soldier on through it, was really meaningful for me. And so in many cases, I think the most poignant and the areas where I learned the most through the book were some of the events where you might have said, ah, that wouldn't make most people's top ten. But for me, it was deeply personal. Absolutely. And I think it's, uh, it's also particularly interesting, you know, kind of the, the risk-reward and evaluation, if you will, of, okay, I can maybe take some risk by going on, on, on this adventure and taking gear, and maybe it's a little unconventional, um, if you will, but but the potential reward of what, what you could gain from it in terms of experience, uh, learning more about yourself, as you said, finding, finding your future wife. As a guy who's in risk, ironically, you know, for, for a living you know, at this point, I find it uh, an interesting evaluation. Uh, and most people don't take the leap or aren't able to kind of evaluate it and put it in that type of, type of context. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think part of the lesson I drew from it was, I mean, why I was in a rut was I, be, I became very wedded to routine and what's comfortable. And, and there's a safety in that. And, and as I reflected on it, you know, a few years before my father had died and I'd gone through you know, relationships. And so there was almost a sense of loss or fear there of loss that I hadn't processed really properly. And as I went, and, and so my mechanism was, well, I'll just go back to the routine that I'm comfortable and I've got my friends and my routine and my city, and that's what I'm going to do, and I have comfort in it, and nothing's going to go bad there because I know how it's going to work. And this year really forced me out of the comfort zone. It forced me to go places and do things on my own, different cultures, cities, adventures that I never would have done if I just kept my head down. And it really then opens up a whole new world to you in terms of what you learn and putting yourself out there and, you know, developing as a person. And again, in some cases, events went great. And in some cases, events were kind of crappy. But I learned as much through some of the negative experiences as I did through the positive experiences. And it, and it, it just taught me you've got to open yourself up in order to grow. And so anymore, Whenever I hit a fork in the road, it's kind of the old Yogi Bear, you hit a fork in the road, you know, take it. (laughs) But whenever I'm given an opportunity, and it could be something small, it could be, hey, there's a concert tonight, or there's a a game I get invited to, or a chance to do a last-minute trip. 
where in the past I might have said, ah, that's going to be kind of a pain, or I was going to do this, and I'm going to have to change my plans, and it's difficult, or it's inconvenient. I really try to break through that now and say when an opportunity presents itself, no matter how small it might seem, try to take advantage of it, because it's a new experience, and you'll learn something, and even something you may think will be a small experience could be life-changing if you, if you take the leap. No, it, it's it's amazing. I absolutely love that, and and could not agree more. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, I guess we we sh- we share another another experience in that uh, you know my father passed away when I was young at the time, seventeen. It was right before yep. uh, I was headed to University of Michigan. Um, kind of se- sensitive time going off to college. My father had been sick for a while um, and passed away actually right right after I got to University of, of Michigan and, and, yep. and flew home from there. Um, yeah, and, and you know, I have a brother who is is doing fantastic now, but um, but but lost his freedom, if you will, for several years. You know, for some bad choices, and you start thinking about loss of life, um, and losing some freedom, and the choices that you might make, and about taking advantage of everything you possibly can because life is short. You know, um, and and you know, freedom is precious. The ability to go outside, the ability to travel, the ability to be healthy enough uh, to do all these things. When, when you have the chance. Um, so as, as you're talking, I'm sitting here going, okay, well, yeah, look, that's, that's why I said yes to going to a concert tonight. You know, that's one of the reasons I love doing, doing the podcast because I can sit down at any time, you know, and, and talk to somebody who's super inspiring and super, super interesting um, and get to feel like I know them, you know, after, after yeah. even an hour of chatting with them. Um, one thing I do want to ask you about also, though, is, you know, a lot of the, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of even people out there or want, want to be entrepreneurs or want to be able to do these things. And what I hear a lot is, you know, how? You know, how, how did you do it? You know, and that's everything from how did you decide that the time was right or how did you write the business plan or how did you, how did you even afford this or make this happen? And, and one of the things you had, had also written about was, was having a plan, you know? Um, yep. And by being a professional, giving up some of your, your spontaneity. So tell... Tell us a little bit also about how you, you planned for it and, and the discipline in, you know, look, in getting creative and making, making things happen. Yeah, so it started, I mean, I'd, I'd had a bit of an idea of it for a while. But, I mean, really it just became, you know, a point in time where I said, okay, I want to do this and, and let's get started on it. And, um, you know, I sat down and I, I did a little bit of planning up front and then, I, you know, I, I, they kind of got me going and got the momentum, and then I, you know, flesh out the details as I went. So for, for me, it was really, you know, over the course of a summer, you know, I had this idea. I bounced it off a few people, and I guess I was fortunate that the people I bounced it off ended up being incredibly supportive of the idea. And, and where they could have said, oh, man, that sounds stupid and, and maybe crushed it, I think I was, I was probably fortunate and lucky that, um, you know, I had friends who, thought that yeah that'd be really cool and, and gave me ideas and so it started to build a bit of momentum and I sat down and I thought okay I've got this idea you know how many how many adventures do I want to pursue and what are they and so I you know started making lists of okay you know what are the things I would want to do um, and I try to be thoughtful on different categories of you know some of them again would be on a typical bucket list I'm gonna I'm gonna run a marathon and it's physically challenging others were you know much more personal to me um, uh, so I, I kind of came up with a list, and I, I worked through it, and I finally, you know, I settled on, you know, 10 events I wanted to do, and I kind of looked at where they fell on the calendar and where they spaced out appropriately, and, you know, did I think I had a chance of, 
you know, for the Playboy Mansion, for example, getting into it and things like that. So I came up with a good mix and I just got started. And I, and I said, listen, I need to have enough of a plan to get going such that it's not just completely ad hoc and I have, I have enough structure to it. At the same time, I reserve the right to say, well, gee, if something, if I can't achieve something, can I substitute something else? Or if a new idea comes to me, so I kind of reserved that right to adjust it a little bit as I went. As it, as it worked out of the 10 events I set out at the beginning, there were nine of the 10 I was able to accomplish. And then I added, you know, three more as I went to end up with, you know, 12 for the year. So it kind of worked out to one a month. Um, but it was, it was coming up with that list. And then it was just beginning to work the list in terms of, okay, I need to be in this city on this date. So how do I think about my vacation calendar? How do I think about a budget in terms of where can I use miles to get somewhere? Where can I call in a favor? You know, part of, um, uh, you know, what I kind of write about in some of my blog is how do you leverage a network of people? So, hey, I need to figure out how do I get into the Playboy Mansion or I want to meet the Pope. Okay, who do I think I know that might know somebody that knows the Pope? And, again, I think um, especially, you know, at, at my age and having gone through different career and educational channels, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised by, you know, generally it's kind of I was six degrees away from Kevin Bacon. I mean, you know, no matter who I was trying to get to, I was able to leverage a network and, and do things. But it's a combination of plan and structure up front and then just some creativity and scrappiness as you go. I also really like that you wrote spend money on the experience, not not the travel. You know, yeah. in there too. And and I just think it's I think it's just great advice. I think it's just great advice. I mean, it's simple yet really great advice. Um, you need to get from point A to point B. You know, what's the most e- efficient and cost-effective yeah. way you can get from point A to point B so that you can live the biggest experience possible when when you're there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's um, exactly. So I I mean I did not skimp on the experience itself. So one of the things uh, you know, and I referenced it in that piece was. I went to a Red Sox-Yankees game, and I wanted to sit on top of the Green Monster, which is by far the most expensive seat in Fenway Park. So there's a little bit of, okay, how do I try to afford that and, and you know get it as cheaply as possible? But then I'm not flying first class to Boston. I'm going to fly coach, and I'm going to fly at an off hour, and I'm going to see if I can crash with somebody I know that lives there. And so it's, you know, figure out what's the experience you really want and what's going to be most valuable and spend money on that. And everything else, it's just logistics and try to be as scrappy and use points and rewards and call in favors and friends and, you know, you know, everything short of hitchhiking probably to try to save in order to really cherish the experience. I mean, I think the broader lesson as well is, and I know they've written a lot about this with millennials and things, is, you know, millennials value experiences more than they do possessions. I think it's the same concept, which is, you know, is a fancy car or house really what you want, or is it more experiences and trips and, and, and things like that? And, and I find that, you know, possessions are fleeting and they sit in a garage or you, know, you can look at them, but at the end of the day, they're not as, as, as satisfying as, you know, a real genuine experience or something that you're going to have a memory that's going to last a lifetime. And so focus on that, not on collections, if you will. Have you been able to bring this into into the corporate world, into, into your professional life a little bit um, in terms of even maybe, you know, understanding, um, you know, your, your team, you know, and, and your employees better um, or being more open with, with what others may want with their experiences because you were clearly supported on, on your journey and you had to put a lot of pieces in place to, to make it happen and rely on the support staff. Have you been able to, to bring this in? Um, 
Again, it's and, and and tell me maybe a little bit about the the environment that you that you work in. It's, but it's it's hard, as we know, difficult for people to get out of the office. You know, we kind of started there too. Yeah, I'd say you know, there's a couple areas where uh, I think the whole experience helps me in my job and with my teams. One of them is again. I, by I the way, you're my, global. I mean, you oversee a global yes, organization. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so, again, part of it is perspective to that point, which is having gone, I mean, I sort of joke in, in one of my blogs that, you know, after you've been, you know, having a bull come at you, you know, having a spreadsheet come at you is a, a little easier. So I think in terms of perspective around the urgent versus, you know, you know, Staying calm, don't panic. You're going to deal with ups and downs. How do you maintain poise and perspective as you go through that? Uh, the book definitely taught me. Again, I had highs, I had lows, I had real danger, I had perceived danger, I had stuff that was frivolous. And, and you learn to work through it and have a demeanor on that. So I think it helps me day to day in terms of responding to issues and just maintaining a, uh, a stability that, that's helpful in the environment. I think it gives me a perspective on having been to Spain, having, having gone through many of these experiences, Rome, et cetera, you know, understanding a little bit more about different cultures, different perspectives, ways of doing things, the American way isn't always the way. And so just being respectful of you're in somebody else's culture, they don't think necessarily the way you do, and so how do you imagine things from their perspective and understand what their background and upbringing is and how that leads them to, you know, approach a problem versus how you might approach a problem. So that whole notion of perspective and maintaining calm, respect for other um, ideas, I, th- I think definitely has made me a better manager and, and leader out of the book. And then to your point in terms of, you know, we're managing teams of individuals who all have their own individual hopes, dreams, challenges. And I think just trying to be more respectful for that, trying to push them to maintain the right balance, trying to understand what they're going through on a given day, which may have nothing to do with the job and everything to do with what's going on outside the job. So I think it just helps me be a little bit more attuned to that and also a little bit more respectful on, I mean, I think people are always shocked on, hey, I need to take a day off. Any problem? It's almost like, you know, you don't even really need to ask me. Just kind of tell me. I mean, on any given day, any given week, I mean, we work in teams, you know, many of us, you know, we'll survive. As long as we've got enough of a heads up, we'll get through it. Um, and, and I try not to, if I know somebody's on vacation, I try not to bug them. I try not to ping them with an email every five minutes. Uh, and, again, it's just things that I, you know, really respected that people gave me the freedom to pursue things outside of work. And I, and I try to do the same for them and, and have a respect for their desire and need to do that. Did you set out? on this thinking it was going to also be a book um did i mean as far as were you blogging and writing before or was it this trip uh or and what you needed to do over the year that inspired you to to put pen to paper and turn it into a book yeah so i had never i would you know i'd never blogged journals um as i went through the year there you know i wasn't you know doing any of that I, when when i set out and i thought well, this would be a really cool idea for a book. And so I had a notion of I'd love to make this into a book, but I didn't, I, I probably gave it 50-50 that it would happen. I, you know, I thought, well, gee, I'm going to have to actually write the book, and then I'm going to have to find somebody that will think it's interesting in publishing, which is a whole other, you know, tangent. Um, so I had the idea, and I, I took copious notes and, and things like that internally and for myself as I went through it with an eye towards writing a book. But again, I, I discounted whether or not I'd ever end there versus it would be a, 
be a cool journal someday or set of memories for my family, but that was it. Um, and I finished the year, and I probably took six months of, you know, just processing it before I actually sat down and started typing out and putting material together. And then I had, you know, probably over the course of a year, year and a half, where I, I wrote the book. And I, you know, I'd sit down and I'd have my reflections, I'd have my notes, and I'd almost, you know, on a weekend or on a vacation, immerse myself in, okay, my vacation is going to be, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to try to write out the story of, you know, seeing the Pope in Rome and, and my next vacation. So I, I, I kind of did it over a period of a year, I'd say, um, such that probably it was, you know, a couple years after I finished the event that I had, you know, what was the first draft of the book uh, and began to tie it together. I'd say the, the interesting thing about it was, first off, the intent of the book, as you alluded to a little bit earlier, changed as I went through the year. I mean, when I first set off on it, I almost thought this will be, uh, you know, I hope they serve beer and hell goes on the road. If you've ever read the Tucker Max book, it's kind of a, hey, I'm a 30-something single guy. I'm going to go to the Playboy Mansion, Rome with the Bulls. It was kind of a brotastic scene, if you will. Yeah. And, and you thought this is going to be a really kind of humorous, semi-racy account of, you know, a wild year. And it ended up, you know, there were some events that were kind of wild and in and, and, and that vein, but then there were others, again, that were very spiritual or very, you know, deep. And you could almost see as I wrote the book, and, I, and the way the book's organized is chronological, so the first event, the second event, the third event, but you could almost see my personality and the storytelling evolve throughout the year to where it's, it's deeper and there's more reflection going on. And then when you step back at the end of it, you almost can see my character arc of how I really did evolve throughout the year subconsciously, even though I didn't know it, and even though I didn't necessarily write the chapters that way, when you put them together, you could see the change in my story, such that to the end, again, to give away part of the punchline, I got engaged. Over the next few years, I changed jobs. I started a family. And really the experiences of the book led me there, even though it started out as a serial of 12 different chapters, it, it, it became a story. And that was part of, I, whether it was karma or luck, uh, I thought the beauty of the book was that um, it evolved that way as I wrote it and as it ended. Now, and it definitely comes across that way. And, and, and again, the, the blog post um, that I connected with, with the most was the you know, also how, how the best year ever, you know, made you better. You know, you wrote how, yeah. the, how the best year ever made me better. Um, and, and if you want to find this and the book, it's, it's the best year ever book.com, which go there, read some of your blog, read about you, order the book from Amazon. There, there you, there you go. Um, but I, again, I connected very much with the, how, how the best year ever actually did make you, make you better as a, as a person and reading that reflection, um, you know, I thought it was really was really candid. It was really open and honest, um, and and relatable out there. And, and the walk away is, you know, that it's doable again. You know, it, it's doable, and and the memories and the evolution of, of, you know, you personally or what one may get out from from taking that trip and that type of journey, um, pretty pretty remarkable in there. Um, yeah, yeah, and and I think the other just one thing I'd say. Is it? I, I have this line at the end of the book where I say, you know, it wasn't my best year ever. It was my best year yet. I, I think you have to have that attitude, which is you've always got to be thinking for, okay, what's next? And I've had some great experiences, but, you know, new experiences will present themselves. And so you can't be thinking about it, 
hey, everything's in the past or I've hit some peak, you've always got to be trying to grow and seek out the new experiences. So again, I, I you know, joke, you know, whenever I'm presented with an opportunity, you know, even if I'm like, ah, you know, I've got something scheduled or that's going to be tough to do, I try to fight through that urge and say, sure, you know, why the heck not? Let's, let's go do it. And it's a new experience and I'll learn something. No, no, no doubt. Uh, so is that the title of the next book? <laughs> yeah, you know, I joke, is it uh, the best year yet or, you know, best year ever 2.0 or 2.1 or something? But yeah, I mean, I, then that was actually, I did another blog post, which was like, hey, what didn't you get to do in the year? And so what would be uh, the next version? I was thinking I've, you know, I've, I've tried um, to pass it on, you know, with my son. I have, I have a four-year-old son now. And I try to do the same with him. I mean, he's gone to a, a World Series game. You know, he sat in the Stanley Cup. I've taken him to New York to skate at Rockefeller Center. I also try to think about him and say, how early can I expose him to new and different experiences? So as he grows up, he's trying new things and finding joy in the experience. So it's, it's very much become a kind of a family uh, pursuit now as, I, as I've gotten older. So, yeah, and, and and you beat me to it. I was going to ask if uh, if the next best best year yet uh, becomes more of a family uh, a family journey. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you know one of the the takeaways from the book as well was adventure is a team sport, and and really the the events I loved the most were where I was with friends. Again, it was my girlfriend at the time who became my wife. It, it really, the, the relationships that you build along the way and the people you enjoy things with almost matters more than the event itself. You could take a very mundane event, uh, and it was great if you had the right people with you, or you could take what sounded like a great event, and it was you know boring if you were doing it on your own or solitary. Uh, so, so really, it's, it's a team sport. And so, yeah, very much going forward with my family, it's, it's less anymore about kind of my adventures and our adventures and what are the trips we're going to take and, and how do I expose my son to these things so that he begins to build those memories and, and I'm almost working off his bucket list as opposed to uh, I'm doing my own. Mm-hmm. So one thing that also comes, comes across, it seems like there's, there's kind of an all or nothing sometimes with, with people, young guys that I speak to, oh, well, I can't. I can't take that vacation, or I can't go here because I'm going to be out of the out of the office. Or if I go on vacation, or I take this trip, then I just want to dis- disconnect in there. And and you talk about leveraging leveraging the fact that the world is mobile in, in there. Um, and what I liked about it also was that it it addresses compromise in a way that yeah. not everything yeah. has to be all or nothing, you know, or 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 black or white. It's it's a pretty mobile mobile world we live in. Um, on that, and what what do you what do you mean by that, um, kind of for the audience about about compromise and how that works? Yeah, and again, it came back to everyone said, "Oh, I assume you quit your job, or you went on sabbatical." It was like, no, I mean, you get four weeks of vacation a year, and you can sneak out the long weekends. And so, you know, again, if you plan, you're able to fit things in, and you can accommodate both, you know, a career or a job or the day to day demands with working this in. It doesn't mean that you, you know, may not have to cancel something or reschedule or plan around things, but if you're thoughtful around it and you can adapt and you're flexible, I think you can squeeze most of this in. And then to your point, I mean, if I took a week off to go to Spain, it didn't mean I became a monk and I was off the grid forever. I would, you know, I'd, okay, I've got six phone calls. I got to do that week. How do I schedule them in the morning so that I can do things uh, for the rest of the day? And, and for me, it was a trade-off to say, if it's, you know, I can't get to Spain, I ha- you know, or I can go to Spain and I have to squeeze in six phone calls. 
it's an easy trade-off. I mean, the world's mobile. You can dial in from anywhere. You can get a Wi-Fi signal. And as, as long as folks are flexible around that and know that you're going to be remote, you'd be shocked at how productive you can be while you're on the road or there's, you know, 24 hours in a day, you can squeeze in a few things and still have plenty of time. So it's just it's being thoughtful and planning around it uh, and just being willing to make compromise to get the things you want done. I mean, if it's the choice is don't ever go to Spain or go to Spain and do some phone calls or a, a meeting, you know, or, you know, be, be jammed a little bit when you get back for a week and you're digging out, you make the trade-off because it's worth it. Now, it's, it, it seems so obvious and so simple in there, um, but again, so easily, easily forgotten. Uh, and again, back to, back to balance. When you say it like that, uh, the trade-off of a couple of phone calls in the morning so I can spend the next two days, you know, touring around Spain seems very simple. You know, when, when you put it that way. Uh, yeah. No, no doubt. So, so let me, uh, are you continuing, I guess, down this path of, of author, adventurer, blogger, host? Um, is, is this a passion of yours now? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, whether it, whether it stays as a hobby, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. We'll have to see what the, what the reaction is. I, I doubt I'll be quitting my day job. But for me, it's and again, the takeaway was I don't have to quit my day job. Um, you know, as, as you're kind of demonstrating with your own activities here. I think, um, you know, for me, I'd love to, whether it becomes a second book or it's just, again, my own life and my own adventures, um, think about what's next on the list uh, in terms of what I want to do, how I want to learn. I mean, for me, the blog and the articles have become a good way to begin to uh, continue to keep up with the lessons I'm learning and, and, and keep that fresh and dynamic. And whether that becomes a bigger thing or, again, it stays as, a, you know, weekly blogs and things like that, I, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm open to where it turns out. Um, but for me, it's, uh, you know, I definitely think it is a passion and something I'm now on to and feel like there's a real there there and, and it's resonated with people. Um, and so I'd, I'd love to continue to do it. And when, when did you get comfortable with that as well. I mean, you're not, again, a high-profile job. I would say, obviously, an analytical job as, as a CFO, the yep. very, very large uh, risk management firm. Uh, and I think sometimes people struggle with, with their identities or, or stepping outside of what maybe their perceived identity is and, and letting more of their interests or things come out and be, and be part of that. And cer- certainly I do. Um, and, you know, well, who are you? Okay, well... Am I, yep. part, am I a partner in an insurance firm? Yes. Um, do I host a podcast? Yes. Um, do I own a gym? Yes. Like, is that okay? You know, can you be the and, – and which yep. one are you for, for which type of person? Um, you know, in your position, when did you get comfortable letting people in on, on all of that? Or even if, if you have or walking down to a meeting in here, I'm gifting you my book. You know, this is, yep. what, this is what I'm about on social media, uh, in, in life and everywhere else. Yeah. I mean, it is a great question. And it was one of the, as I went through the publishing process was one of the biggest struggles I had. Um, cause again, I wrote the book and until it really hit, you know, daylight, it was still internal for me. And as it became clear, okay, wow, this thing's actually going to get published. And then you start working through the publishing process and the marketing process with the publisher to say, okay, 
I want you to be, you know, you need to have a blog. You need to have a web page. I want you on Facebook. I want you on Twitter. And I was a guy who I had zero social media presence. I mean, I was on LinkedIn. I wasn't on Facebook, Twitter, anything. I mean, if you Googled me, you know, you would find my LinkedIn profile, and that was about it. And so, and the, the irony is I'm a pretty private person. And so it's like, wait a second, you're a pretty private person who just wrote a freaking memoir. Like, you know, you, you sort of, you're losing the privacy angle when you do that. So it, it, was, a, it was a big uh, kind of tension for me of, okay, I'm about to lose control over, I'm about to put stuff out there that's pretty private and it's definitely a personal window into me, whereas in a professional world I've always been very buttoned up and am I comfortable with that? And I think it was really this summer as we went through the, okay, we've got a publishing date. And now, you know, you need to get out there and you need to start to, you know, advertise, publicize yourself, create an identity out there. Um, but it became clear to me, okay, I'm getting out there. So I had to be comfortable. And, and I almost kind of did a cold turkey. I almost said, listen, I'm going to put it out there. Um, I'm confident enough that I'm not putting anything out there that I think I can't stand behind, that, you know, um, that it's, you know, putting stuff out there I believe in, but at the same time is not, I'm not, making political statements or things like that. So I'm comfortable with what I'm putting out there, but it's, it's going to create a window into me, um, and am I cool with that? And it was a big tension, but ultimately, to your point, um, it's part of who I am. Uh, and so I, I find people, actually, the reaction I get is people are fascinated by it, and it's, you know, they've always, I, you underestimate, people want to know more about you. And in this case, this was my mechanism for being able to talk a little bit more about some personal things, whereas I might not have gotten into it uh, in the day-to-day -day interaction. And I think the other is you just got to get comfortable that at some point life is short. And, uh, you know, it, it, clearly this was something inside me and a part of me and something I love. And if I wasn't bringing that into a huge part of my life, which was my professional life, in some ways, I wasn't being true to myself in my professional life, and I probably wasn't being the best professional I could be, as relatable as I could be, as good of a leader as I could be, if I was having this, uh, you know, tight wall between, hey, there's the personal Liam and the mm -hmm. professional Liam. At some point, it's all about, you know, you are who you are, and I think you've got to be able to translate that. You've got to be able, comfortable that, hey, listen, if I'm ever doing a job interview and somebody Googles and they find out that I went to the Playboy Mansion... If they got a problem with that, they got a problem with that. It's nothing I'm ashamed of, and you can read the book. There's nothing particularly in there that, you know, I wouldn't tell my mother. Um, you know, I'm comfortable with everything that's in the book and everything that's on the blogs. And if you got a problem with that, hey, you know, life's short. You know, it's, maybe it's not the job for me, or you know, I'll, I'll go do something else. You just, I think there's a comfort and a security you have to reach to that says, I'm going to reveal part of myself, and I'm okay with that. And if people aren't okay with that, then it is what it is. Great, great advice. And uh, I think on, on that note, I want to say thank you for, for coming on the podcast today. The book is the best year ever. It is Mr. Liam Caffrey has joined us. Check it out at the best book ever. I'm sorry, the best year ever book dot com. Uh, yep. Go grab a copy of it. William, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we got to meet. Where are we meeting? Michigan, Ohio State. Uh, what what where what game are we going to? <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there for Michigan State in a couple of weeks. So, uh, or I guess eight days or so now. So, yeah, you name the game, and I'll see you there. Very nice. Well, listen, go blue. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it, and uh, would love love to have you back for uh, for the sequel. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Greg, and uh, I enjoyed it.
The Greg Scheinman Podcast was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net.